Thank you, worship team. Thank you, Chad. Like Chad said, my name is Hardy Sellers, and I would like to also wish you a Merry Christmas. Some of you have uh, maybe never seen me, never heard of me, and not even know who I am. So kind of a little background on that. Um, my position is I am the executive pastor for operations. So think administration, think um, financing facilities, of those, those type things. And um, when I first got hired, I was back in 1999, Lawrence Sips, the founding pastor, um, called me up and he said, Hardy, every pastor I've hired, worship pastor, student pastor, teaching pastor, adult pastor, I bring them here to raise the satisfaction of the people that come to Von Forest. He said, you're different. I am hiring you to lower the dissatisfaction of people that come to Von Forest. Some of you guys that are in administration will understand this. What I learned that to mean was the only time you ever hear about me is when my job doesn't go well. So anyway, that's kind of, no one has ever left this church driving home and, you know, they're pulling out. And so, honey, what'd you think about the church? Did you see what I saw? Yeah, I saw. Every bathroom stall had toilet paper. I know it was awesome, wasn't it? Did you notice electricity did not cut off one time? They didn't. They pay their bills on time. It's impressive. And the temperature in the, in the room, not too hot, not too cold. It's just, see, it's when we do run out of toilet paper, when the electricity does blink off, and when it is too hot, too cold, that's when you think of me, Hardy Sellers, hardy.sellers of onforce.com. Look forward to hearing from you. Um, to understand my background, uh, I went to a small engineering school in Colorado where I got a degree in chemistry. So you're all the chemist. All right. Um, I got a degree in chemistry. I spent the next 12 years flying jets and teaching leadership for the United States Air Force before I got a call into ministry at my home church of Vaughn Forest. And I, like I said, I've been here almost 25 years. And I realized very quickly coming on staff and being around other pastors, my road to where I was, I look at things a little bit different. And y'all will, today will probably walk out of here and go, he looks at things a little different. So uh, we're going to enjoy it. We're going to have a great time today. But my background causes me to have just a different perspective. The way I got here was, as most of y'all know, we are in between lead pastors. A few months ago, Chad and I were kind of looking at figuring out who was going to be in the pulpit and what we're going to be teaching. And then we came across, well, Christmas Eve is on a Sunday. And so we're going to have the more normal morning service. And we're also going to have an afternoon service. And who's going to preach what? And Chad said, well, I could do both. And he says, well, Hardy, you don't do anything. No, he didn't say that. He said, what, what do you think about you in one of the services? And I prayed about it. And I said, yeah, I think, I think that would be good. You know, I've been here 24 years and I have preached twice. So I figure I've, I'm pacing myself really good. So I'm either very rusty or very rested. We'll let you all decide that. Um, but today we're going to take a little bit of a different look at the Christmas story through prophecy and through probability. Now, if you're a math guy, oh, high five. We're gonna love this, other that, we'll try to keep everybody on the same page. Um, but just so we understand, a prophecy is a message that has been communicated to a person, typically called a prophet, by a supernatural entity. About one third of the Bible is prophecy. In the Bible, there are 1,817 prophecies, 1,239 in the Old Testament, 578 in the New Testament, there are over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament that were fulfilled by Jesus Christ. And if you're interested in any of this, if you will put it on your Connect card, just put prophecies. I've got a PDF that I can email you that has over all of the prophecies that Jesus um, that were prophesied and that he fulfilled. It's, if you're 
want to study into that. Just put it on the Connect card and I'll get that email to you. But this morning, we're going to look at eight prophecies that Jesus fulfilled during the Christmas story. How we're going to unpack this is I'm going to talk about the prophecy. We're going to read the scripture where the prophecy comes from in the Old Testament. I'll give you a little background, timeage, things like that. And then I will tell you the address of where it's fulfilled. Um, we're not going to read those scriptures just due to time restraints. But um, with that, we'll go ahead and get started. So eight fulfilled prophecies foretelling the birth of Jesus Christ. Number one prophecy. He was a descendant of Abraham. We see this Genesis twenty two eighteen. This is around 1500 to 1300 BC before Christ. And this is the Lord telling Abraham about his offspring. And the um, Genesis twenty two eighteen says, And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. A lot of times in the English language, I'll throw things out like, man, they loved all my jokes. And we know they only liked about two of them, but I say they liked all my jokes. It's kind of a hyperbole, an exaggeration for the point of emphasis. The Lord doesn't do that. So when he says, and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed, this is an obvious reference to the Messiah, because only the Messiah can bless all nations. So we see this fulfilled in Matthew chapter 1 verses 1 through 17, and Luke chapter 3, 23 through 38. And this is, everybody's familiar with it, the lineage of Jesus, um, where they, he goes through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, of where Jesus came from, and the fact that he did ab actually come through the line of Abraham. So that's pretty neat. And um, Abraham, one of the, he is the founding father, godly guy, so that makes sense. That's a good prophecy. Let's go to number two. We're going to take a little detour on this one. Two is he will be a descendant of Jacob. And you're like, well, Hardy, we just covered that because the scripture said that he would come through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The interesting thing about this prophecy is who prophesied it. Because the first prophecy was from Abraham. We can all admit, godly dude, kind of the person you would expect to prophesy. This one comes from Balaam. Okay, Balaam was a pagan prophet. In fact, if you look in Peter, Jude, and John, they all call out Balaam as a very wicked dude. So what he writes is, in Numbers 24, 17, a star will come out of Jacob, a scepter will rise out of Israel. So here it is, a very wicked pagan prophet. The Lord is using them. I heard it said once that the Lord can hit a straight lick with a bent stick. And in this case, he is taking someone that you wouldn't really expect to be prophesying about the Messiah, and God uses him to prophesy about the Messiah. We see again this fulfilled in the same scriptures, Matthew chapter 1, 1 through 17, Luke chapter 3, 23 through 38, where we go through the lineage of Jesus. All right, number three, the virgin birth in Emmanuel, the name Emmanuel. This was from Isaiah. A lot of y'all know Isaiah, one of the major prophets, probably one of the most well-known prophets. And we have this in Isaiah 7:14. And we see in Isaiah 14, it says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Again, this is 740 BC. Isaiah the prophet is getting this in a vision. And as he's writing this down, at some point, you, you wonder if he just sits there and goes, can I make sure I have this straight? 
The virgin shall conceive and bear a son. Are you sure this is how you want me to word? Am I wording this properly? Like that, that's what you want to say. All right, we're going to write it down. Um, we see this fulfilled in Matthew chapter 1, verses 20 through 25, and Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 35. And this is where an angel comes to Joseph. Joseph just found out that his, the woman that he is betrothed to be married is now pregnant. So he decides he is going to divorce her quietly. And an angel comes to Joseph and says, no, don't do it. This child is conceived of the Holy Spirit. And he will be a son and you will call him Emmanuel. Fulfilling that prophecy. Prophecy number four. A child will be born. We see this again, we're in Isaiah chapter 9, 6 and 7. And we see, for a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. What we see here is the actual prophecy is quoted Matthew chapter 1, 22 and 23, and we've all heard that in the Christmas story. So, um, but it's fulfilled in both Luke chapter 1, 32 through 33, Luke chapter 3, 23 through 38, Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, and 6 and 7. And this is when the angel is talking to Mary about the lineage and how that her, um, that he will take on the throne of David and talks about the lineage of David. I want to stop right here. A lot of times when I'm talking to people that aren't believers, maybe they want to be believers or maybe they're just totally opposed to it. And they, they bring up um, things like, how do we know, this is so old, how do we know that these disciples didn't go back and kind of change things to fit the narrative? And a lot of times we'll say, oh, it's the Bible, but in the world we live in, we see history being rewritten all the time. So I can understand their questions of why they would do that and, uh, and go, well, how do we know that it hasn't been changed or they've adapted, stuff like that. And that, that was solved in 1947 when they made a discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls. If you don't know what the Dead Sea Scrolls are, Google it, it's very fascinating. But these shepherds were basically throwing rocks in a cave. They heard some cracking and they go in there and they discovered the Dead Sea Scrolls and through, I think, 11 different caves. Thousands upon thousands of documents perfectly preserved for 2,000 years. All the prophecy that we're talking about here was written in the Dead Sea Scrolls. So they know that it was 2,000 years ago, so it wasn't adapted. It was from the original documents. Let's go to prophecy number five. This one's going to take a while to unpack because it's absolutely fascinating. But this comes from, it's called the time of Messiah's arrival. And it's going to take a couple, uh, couple links here because it's a lengthy thing. This is through Daniel. Okay, Daniel, everybody remembers Daniel in the lion den. Same guy, the book of Daniel, chapter 9, verse 25 through 26. And it reads, know and understand this, from the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, comes, there will be a seven sevens and 62 sevens. It will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. After the 62 sevens, the anointed one will be put to death and will have nothing. The people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end and desolations have been decreed. This was written in 605 BC by prophet Daniel. He heard this in a dream and it's fulfilled in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but we're going to kind of unpack how it's fulfilled. Um, 
You know, I believe coincidence is sometimes God just wants to remain anonymous. This is one of those times that once you study it, you're like, I mean, it's just a, a, mock, a, a mic drop. They, God told us this ahead of time, and then once we realize what he told us, it's like, well, that is absolutely amazing. There's three things that this passage tells us. The passage tells us when the Messiah will appear on the scene. It tells us that after his appearance, Messiah will be rejected by his people, and the Messiah will be put to death in a reference to the cross. We're just going to talk about the first one, which is the passage tells us when the Messiah will appear on the scene. So now I have to go to my unpacking. Depending on what translation you use, there's the Hebrew word for weeks is used in different ways. So some of your translations, if we can go back to the first, where it goes um, in the, there will be seven sevens. Some of those might say seven weeks in 62 weeks. It really has nothing to do with weeks. It has to do with sevens. It actually has to do with years, but that's just a little difficulty with the Hebrew language. So when we're talking about the seven sevens and 62 sevens, we're actually talking about years, not days or weeks. Okay, so now we go to the first part. From the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, that's the starting point of this prophecy. Well, we just did a great study of Nehemiah um, a few, in the last few months. Nehemiah 2, um, chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. If y'all remember, it's when King Artaxerxes, in around 445 or 444 B.C., put out the decree to have Jerusalem rebuilt. So that's a starting point. So from the time the word goes out. So we know the time the word went out. Now, understand this was written in 605 B.C., so this was written before this. But later, at 445, 444 B.C. is when um, King Artaxerxes says, hey, rebuild the temple. So now let's do our math. Okay, we have seven sevens. Good math, 49, right? Okay, so we got seven times seven, 49. Now we have 62 sevens. That's 434. You add those together and you have 483 years. Okay, just write that down somewhere in your 483 years. Unfortunately, it does get a little bit more complicated because Julius Caesar in 45 BC took us from a lunar calendar to a Julian calendar. Not going to get into the details of that, but it, it kind of made things a little bit better, but a little bit more confusing because they based the calendar off of when Caesar was born, and of course Caesar kept dying. So that made it a little bit more of a challenge. So in 525 AD, monk Dionysius tried to calculate Jesus' birth. He said, we're going to go back and we're going to make one, because you have B.C. before Christ, A.D., Anno Domini, the year of the Lord, we're going to make one A.D., the birth of Christ. That was his goal. It was a great goal. His Google searches were a little off, and he actually was off about four years. Some details on that. So Jesus Christ, believe it or not, hope this doesn't ruin your Christmas, was 4, and four B.C., they think, 3 or 4 B.C., he tried, did better than I could have done. So if we start at Artaxerxes' decree around 444, 445 BC, we add 483 years, adjust for the mistake in the changing the calendar, because keep in mind, we went from 1 BC to 1 AD, and if you understand, there's no zero, so that kind of messes things up a little bit. This would be around AD 30 to 33. We know that Jesus Christ when he was crucified, was approximately 33 years old. You set, subtract that out, and from this, you could tell when Jesus Christ was going to be crucified and also go back to figure out when he was going to be born. And again, this was done 600 years before Jesus Christ was born. Number six, born in Bethlehem. This is from Micah. Micah is one of the minor prophets. 
Um, this was 742 B.C. And Micah says, But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel. Obviously, we're talking about the Messiah here, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Clear reference to the scripture here. This is fulfilled in Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 through 6, Luke chapter 2, 1 through 7, and John 7, 42. And we all know the story. Mary and Joseph betrothed to be married. Mary's with child. They have to go take care of some tax stuff. So they have to go to their city of origin. He's from the line of David. So they have to go to the town of David, which is Bethlehem, which is where Mary gave birth, even though she and Joseph were not from Bethlehem. That is where she delivered. We've heard that story all the time in the last few weeks. And this fulfilled this prophecy that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Again, 742 years before he was born. Number seven, destruction of the children. This is from Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a major prophet, uh, also called the weeping prophet. And if you ever read Jeremiah, you'll understand he had lots to weep over. Um, this is 597 B.C., and in Jeremiah 31, 15, it says, A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping, and great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. We see this fulfilled in Matthew chapter 2, verses 16 through 18. This is a foreshadowing of Herod's and Satan using Herod in an attempt to slay the, the king of the Jews. Um, the verses quoted in Matthew 2, 18 is where that you hear this in the Christmas story. So as you recall, the wise men were looking for the king of the Jews so they could worship him and give him gifts. They go to Herod. Herod gets all his people. They try and they can't help. And they, but he the, Herod tells the wise men, the Magi, when you find him, come, bring, come back and let me know where he is so I can worship him too. Herod had plans to kill him because he was competition. So the Magi left. They went, they found Jesus, gave him some gifts, and then they heard in a dream, don't go back to see Herod. So they went back another way. Herod found out. Herod wasn't happy. Okay? So Herod put out a decree to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under. Okay? In accordance with the time that they had learned from the wise men. So this, and this um, uh, prophecy from Jeremiah was fulfilled when those children were killed. And finally, number eight. Return from Egypt. This is from Hosea, the first of the minor prophets, okay, 755 BC. And Hosea 11.1 1 says, Out of Egypt I called my son. When you start looking at these, these prophecies and you're like, okay, he's born in Bethlehem, he's coming out of Egypt, he's born of a virgin, you could see, like, how in the world is this possible? But yet we see through the story, and we see in Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 and 15, after the baby was born, Joseph was told in a dream, take Mary and the child, go to Egypt, because Herod's getting ready to be on a rampage. Stay there until it's safe to come back when Herod's dead. And so they did, and that's when they came back from Egypt. The fascinating thing of this is just as God led the Israelites out of Egypt when he established the Old Covenant, so would he lead the Messiah out of Egypt when he established the New Covenant. So I mentioned I was going to talk about prophecies and probabilities. I'm a numbers guy. I'm kind of a numbers geek. 
engineer type, so I like numbers. And there's a book, um, it's called Science Speaks, and it's by Professor Peter Stoner. He was a chairman of the mathematics and astronomy departments at Pasadena College. And he wrote that book, Science Speaks, which applies, applies probabilities to the life of Christ. So what he did, he had 600 students in his classes, not all believers, obviously, but he had them look at the different prophecies and put probabilities with those. For example, he would be born in Bethlehem. Well, we know how many people were in the world and we know how many people were born in Bethlehem. So I can tell you right now, about one in 300,000 people at that time were born in Bethlehem. So you had one in 300,000 chance of picking somebody from Bethlehem. The crazy part though is after he did all this, then he started stacking probabilities. And I'm going to try to explain this so everybody can understand. If we're going to stack probabilities, if I say, hey, I want a male left-handed with blue eyes in any group of people. Well, we know male, female, it's one out of two, right? 50%. So we got a 50% chance of me picking either a male or a female. So there is that. Well, I want them left-handed. Any lefties out there? 10% of y'all are left-handed statistically. Okay, 10%. So now, if I want a left-handed male, I have to go to 10% of that 50%. But I also said blue eyes, didn't I? Blue eyes, 8, 10% of people have blue eyes. So now, when I stack probabilities, I'm looking for a 10% of that 10% of that 50%, and you can see how it gets less and less likely. So what he did is he got all these numbers, all these prophecies together, got all the probabilities together, and he came up with the chance that one man could fulfill all eight prophecies. And the number he came up with is one to the 17th power. Now my math people are going, wow. The non-math people are going, that's not even a number. But anyway, um, <laughs> let me draw it out for you. So one to the 17th power is one in one with 17 zeros. That didn't tell us a whole lot. So let's kind of look at some other things that might help a little bit. Chance, has anybody here been struck by lightning? I got struck by lightning. I was supersonic in a jet when I got struck by lightning. It's the only time, but it's kind of cool. Um, the chance of getting struck by lightning is 1 in 15,300. In order to get to this number, you would have to get struck by lightning six times. Eaten by a shark. Anybody here ever been eaten by a shark? Nobody? Ah, there we go. One chance, chance of getting eaten by a shark is 1 in 3,700,000. All right. How about win the lottery? A billion-dollar lottery. We had a, a couple months ago had a billion-dollar lottery. The chance of winning a billion-dollar lottery is 1 in 300 million. That's only eight zeros. And every zero goes up exponentially. The total people ever on this earth is one to the 11th power. Just kind of put it in perspective. All these numbers, by the way, were reviewed and approved by the American Scientific Affiliation, saying that they were, they were sound and conservative in their numbers. In this book, he gives an example he, to try to help you understand the chance of one person fulfilling eight prophecies. And he said, if you had this number, one to the 17th power, and you had it in silver dollars, he didn't say this, but... I will, you're rich, and we need to talk about tithing. But anyway, um, but if you had that number silver dollars, it would cover the state of Texas two feet deep in silver dollars. It's a lot of silver dollars. So imagine you've got the state of Texas covered two feet deep in silver dollars, and on one of them you put a little X. 
You mix them all up, you throw them out there, you take a guy, you put him in the middle of Texas, blindfolded, and said, walk around till you're done and pick up one coin. The chance of them finding that coin would be one to the 17th power. Okay, I mentioned that was after eight prophecies. He went ahead and round numbers and he said, what's the chance of one person filling out 48 prophecies? And he did the math there and the number comes out to be one to the 157th power. That's 48. There are documented over 300 prophecies fulfilled by the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So what I can tell you is mathematic certainty that Jesus Christ is who he says he is. And for that, we can rejoice. I hope you enjoyed that. I like numbers and kind of put numbers, and I really enjoy prophecy. But now we have a really special time in our service um, where we're going to celebrate the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. It is written in Matthew and Luke, on the day before the crucifixion, while they were eating, Jesus took the bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and he said, take and eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and said, drink from it all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. For every time we take this bread or drink from this cup, we remember the price that he paid for us and the promise he made to us. Here at Von Forest, the communion table open to all those who claim Christ as Lord. Regardless of denomination and background, you are welcome. But you may be in the point of your life where you've never made that decision. You've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And I'll tell you right now, there's not a better time than right now. If the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, I would love to invite you to come join the family. If everybody could bow your heads, if you'd like to make that decision, just pray with me. God, I know you love me. And your desire is that I trust and follow your son. Jesus, you are Lord, and I want you to be the Lord of my life. I know that I'm a sinner. I confess these sins to you and ask for your forgiveness. I ask the Holy Spirit to come into my heart and teach me to follow you and give me the courage to tell others about you. Jesus, thank you for saving me. As Matt comes up, he's going to sing over us. And what we're inviting you to do, we have four tables. Chad Boak, Matt Aldridge, Matt Shell, and myself will be at these four tables. And just gather as a family and come and take communion as a family. If you know one of the pastors and you want to go to their tables, that's fine. If you want to go to the one nearest you or if you want to go to the one with the shortest line, just come. And if you are here by yourself, you may be single or you may just be separated from your family this holiday season. Now's a great time to be adopted. So look around for another family and join a family as we celebrate as a church family the Lord's Supper.